preach this morning, continuing on, in the Light in the Darkness series. And I want to open up, if we might, with Mark chapter 11, starting at verse 1, and reading through this passage together. This is Jesus as he is entering into Jerusalem, and it's, it's heading into the Passion Week. He's coming in, you know the story of the Hosanna, and they're waving the palm branches. But later in this little passage, he's going to talk about prayer and the type of prayer that will move a mountain. Now, if I were an evangelist this morning, I would preach that little bit, those couple verses right there to you, and man, it would be a barn burner of a message. But I'm not an evangelist. I'm a pastor teacher. And so what I see in this chapter is there is a lot going on, more than just him talking about prayer that moves a mountain. What I see in this chapter is what I would call and what one writer called a living parable. A living parable. Or those of us who used to teach might call it an object lesson. But Jesus is showing us some things throughout the entirety of chapter 11 that all tie to the kind of prayer that we can pray to move a mountain. And so with the Lord's help today, I want us to see see that. But I thought it would be good to explore the entire passage together. Now when they drew near Jerusalem to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and he said to them, go into the village opposite you. And as soon as you have entered into it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has sat. Loose it and bring it. And if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and immediately he will send it here. So they went their way, and they found the colt tied by the door outside of the street, and they loosed it. But some of those who stood there said to them, what are you doing loosing the colt? And they spoke to them just as Jesus had commanded. So they let them go. And then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their clothes on it, and Jesus sat on the colt. And many spread their clothes on the road, and others cut down leafy branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then those who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David. That comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And Jesus went into Jerusalem and into the temple. Now now watch it here where he's coming in. And this is usually where we stop that particular sermon, right? We, we, We stop there and we preach about them saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. And how they worshiped and how how wonderful it was that the crowds recognized Jesus as the Messiah. And, and we preach about that on Palm Sunday. And usually that is separate from the rest of this. And usually the last part is separate from the middle of this. Look, look on though. Jesus rides in into all of that celebration. But he immediately goes to examine. That's the title of the sermon today. Examining light. Examining light. We've looked at defining light. But today we're looking at examining light. Jesus goes into Jerusalem and immediately goes into the temple. So when he had looked around, if, he, if you could say it this way, when he had examined things, as the hour was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. And the next day... 
When they had come out from Bethany, Jesus was hungry. And seeing from afar a fig tree having leaves, he went to see if perhaps he would find something on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. In response, Jesus said to it, to the fig tree, let no one eat fruit from you ever again. And his disciples heard it. So they came to Jerusalem. Then Jesus went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in the temple. Now we're already in about three different stories, right? Usually how we would preach it and teach it and all that. We've had Hosanna. We've had the fig tree. This will be a nice fig tree today. It was a Christmas tree and now it's a winter tree and today it's our fig tree. But we've had the fig tree and now we're going into yet another story where Jesus goes into the temple and just throws the tables over, right? But it's all gonna, it all ties together. So they came to Jerusalem, then Jesus went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changer and the seats of those who sold the doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry wares through the temple. Then he taught, saying to them, Is it not written, now here's another little nugget, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of thieves. And the scribes and the chief priests heard it, and they sought how they might destroy him, for they feared him, because all the people were astonished at his teaching. And when evening had come, Jesus went out of the city. Now in the morning, as they passed by, now we're back to the fig tree. The next day, they passed by and they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, remembering, said to him, Teacher or rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. So Jesus answered and said to them what he's trying to show us in this whole passage, have faith in God. For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things which he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe. Somebody say, believe. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive them. That your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. There's just a little bit more in that chapter. But what we see here is a living Parable, a living object lesson, the light of examination, Christ who rides into Jerusalem on the donkey, on the colt, the people waving the pine branches and all the pomp and all the circumstances, yet in his mind he wants to get to the temple and that day he goes to the temple and he examines and he looks and he does not like. What he sees. He does not like what he sees. 
Now, as the pastor of this church, I would often wonder if Jesus were to pay us a, a visit, if Jesus were to come and to examine here in this body of believers, what would he say? What would he do? How would he feel? What would he see? As an individual, I often think if Jesus were to sit down with me and we had a cup of coffee and he talked to me about what he sees in me and my attitudes and my actions and my reactions and my lifestyle, what would he think? What would he see? What would he say? How would he feel? I know this, when he examined the temple that day, he did not like what he saw. I guess we could say this this morning. The next slide says it. He went from Hosanna to hangry. Anybody know what hangry is? Now, I have a child who gets hangry. I will not tell you the name of that child because she does not like me to mention her. I will not mention her. I will not tell you that she's the youngest daughter. I will not mention who that is, but she gets hangry easygoing child, we, we have fun, we have adventures, we have our little places we go to, but at certain times, if there's not been enough food, hangry. Anybody else get hangry in the house? I get a little hangry myself. I'll throw myself in that boat as well. Jesus, if you, if you will, he went from Hosanna to hangry. He went from all of this praise and all of this worship, but when he got to the temple and he saw how things were going and how things were set up and, and what was happening there, he got a little hangry. He got a righteous indignation about what was going on. And it's in the context of that that the next morning, he has seen what was happening at the temple, and the next morning Jesus and all of his disciples were going by the fig tree. And he saw the fig tree from a distance. I know this is kind of an evergreen look, but look, work with me, work with me. But budgets are tight. We can't just bring in trees willy-nilly around here. We use what we got. He saw the fig tree from a distance. It was out of season. It was not the season. It was not the time for the fig tree to have figs on it. Yet, it had all of these leaves and it was giving the impression that there would be figs on there for Christ to eat. I thought about that and thought about that and thought about that this week. And I thought about the church and who we are as the body of Christ. And I thought about that, that living for God and having the hope of the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit and all of those things that we should have in our lives and we should have corporately, all of those things are out of season when it comes to the culture around us. Does that make sense? It really is it's not vogue, it is not normal, it is not what is happening around us to have the hope of the gospel and the full working of the Holy Spirit and the joy that comes from the Lord. And so I wonder sometimes, do people look at us? Do people look at us as a church? Do they look at this body of church? And maybe they see a tree with leaves on it that seems to be out of season. 
right? And maybe they say, oh, maybe there is hope. Maybe, maybe just maybe those people that gather together on 1505 Simmons Gap Road, maybe just maybe there is an oasis of hope and truth and love and joy that we can find. But what if they looked at that and they saw those leaves, but then if they came and they started to see what do they really know and what do they really experience, but yet they found no figs? That would be a sad time, wouldn't it? Let me say it a different way. I don't want us to be guilty of false advertisement. You see, we have a sign out here on the side of the road, and on that sign it says, Church. Church. Now that means something, right? That should mean something. God established the church. The New Testament ordained the church. The Holy Spirit empowered the church. And on the side of the road here, we are advertising to a lost and dying and hurting world that we are a church. And I say we need to have more than just leaves, right? We need to have more than just a beautiful paid-off building. We need to have, I'm excited as I can be about the new carpet and the chairs and all the beauty and, and, and making things look great. But it's more than all of that. Somebody should say amen. It's more than all of that. And see, Jesus looked at this fig tree, and it wasn't so much that he was physically hungry, hangry. He was spiritually hungry. If you go through the entirety of the Old Testament, you will see that many times the fig tree represented Israel. There's a big object lesson going on in this whole chapter right here. The fig tree represented Israel. And so what Christ is seeing here is that Israel, God's chosen people, the ones that should have been ready for him as the Messiah and the ones that should have been loving people and helping people, there was a lot of leaves but there was no substance. There were a lot of leaves, but there were no figs. And this fig tree was a picture of Israel. And so in the physical, in the natural, Jesus looks at the fig tree. He sees the leaves. There's no figs there. He can't eat physically. And he says, let nobody eat any fruit off of you anymore. But in the spiritual, it was a living parable showing that Israel had dried up at the roots because they had rejected Jesus Christ and his fullness. For us today as the church, it is a lesson, it is a reminder to say we need to be who we say that we are. We need to be who God has converted us to be. We need to be Christians in all the sense of it. We need to be a church in all the reality of it. He went from Hosanna to Hangry. Now the story is going to get better, okay? Look at your neighbor and say, it's going to get better. Look at the neighbor you didn't look at that's your second choice and say, it's going to get better. But you got to have to hang with me here a little bit longer. There, Jesus is, is making some points here today. I've told you I'm not preaching it like an evangelist would preach it. I'm preaching it like a pastor teacher needs to preach it to his congregation this morning. Not only did it go from Hosanna to hangry, it went from worship to Walmart. Oh, somebody heard that word Walmart and said, oh, you know, it could have been Target, but worship to Target doesn't sound as good as, you know, the W and the W. All right, so fill in your department store of choice right there. But it went from worship to Walmart. He continues on his journey away from the fig trees. He goes back to the temple. 
And we just read what happened at the temple. He cleans house. He, he knocks over the tables, right? He clears them out. Why did he do that? Was he just in a, a hangry fit? No, it was righteous indignation. Because what he saw was another picture of unbelief. What he saw was another picture of barriers keeping people from being who he wanted them to be. In the temple were the money changers. You know the people had to come and offer their sacrifices to God. Christ was coming to take care of all that, but we're still, he still hasn't done that. And the people would come to offer their sacrifices to God. But they wouldn't let them spend their money in the temple. It was kind of like those old coal company towns when they paid the coal miners in script. Anybody know about that? I, I would say I was a coal miner. I wasn't a coal miner. But I grew up in a coal mining town. They would pay them in script and then they would take the script to the coal mining country company store and they would buy the stuff there and there was an old song I owe my life to the company store why because they would work for the miners they would go and spend their money for the miners and it was just this and the the coal mining bosses were making all the money and and it was on the backs of those coal miners that's kind of what was happening here at the temple they couldn't go in and use their hard-earned money to just get the dove and to take care of business and whatever animal and sacrifice. They had to exchange their money for the temple money. It had become this big money-making scheme. It wasn't about people coming to get there to get forgiveness. It wasn't about people coming so that they could get closer to God. It was about me making some money. And they would go in and they would trade their money to get the temple money, and you guessed it, you have to pay a little bit extra from your money to get the temple money. So they're making a profit and you're already losing, right? Then you would go over and there would be the sellers of the doves, and, and of course they had a monopoly on things, right? So what do you do when you have a monopoly on goods you can charge more? The people, simply put, were being taken advantage of in what was supposed to be the house of God. A place of hope, a place of healing, a place of forgiveness, a place of restoration. Yet they were being exploited and put down. And it's no wonder that Christ flipped over the tables and cleared out the house. It said that the place where uh, the court, where the Gentiles could go, the Gentiles could only go to a certain place in the temple. That was where a lot of this bonanza or this yard sale-like stuff was all set up in their court. Yet another barrier keeping them from coming and actually worshiping God. And Jesus had it up to here and he flipped the tables and cleared the house. They had gone from worship to Walmart. What is it? Why is it that we come to the house of the Lord? Why do we become part of the church? Why do we become part of the kingdom of God? Too many times we can get into this thing and it becomes something about ourselves or some other agenda or motive. But I say, church, it's all about worshiping Him. I'm going to say that again and somebody should say amen. I said it's all about worshiping Him. All about worshiping Him. It's not about what role I get to play or I don't get to play. Amen. It's not about 
these things and these goals that we set up and these little kingdoms that we set up within his kingdom. It's about worshiping him. And he cleared all of that out. Then they leave. They walk back, going back, journeying away from the temple. And there they see that fig tree again. But this time they see the fig tree and it is all dried up, dying. And old boisterous Peter, Peter's always the one to put it out there. Peter says, Lord, the fig tree, the fig tree that you curse. Now he didn't curse it in the sense of profanity. He put a curse upon it. He said, it's all dried up. And it's in that moment that Jesus tells Peter this. Let's look again, if we don't mind, Mark 11, 22 through 24. Peter sees that the tree is all dried up. This has been quite an eventful little story, hasn't it? Three or four stories all in one, but it all happened together. Peter sees it dried up and Jesus said, Jesus answered and said to the disciples, have faith in God. He's saying that's the point I'm trying to make all through all of this is to have faith in God. For assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes, there's that word again, believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Verse 24. Therefore I say to you, what things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Now I have to admit to you that at first this seemed an odd placement. I have to admit to you at first I thought, is this out of place? Why is this right here in the midst of this whole series of little stories but I believe what Christ was trying to tell them and what he's trying to tell us is that there is power in prayer there's power in believing but there are barriers many times that we've got to get out of the way one is this barren barrenness the barrier of barrenness the tree was was barren it looked like it had stuff. It looked good, but on the inside and what was, should have been coming out as far as fruit wasn't happening. And there are times as Christians, I believe that in our walk with the Lord, we come in and we, we can come to church and we can look really good. We look really presentable. And how are you, brother? I'm blessed. I'm blessed. Highly favored. Right? But sometimes on the inside, we're not feeling it really. Right? We can be barren. And he's saying you don't have to be barren. Believe in God. You don't have to be barren. Have faith in God. And say, Lord, I, I need you to work in the barrenness of my life and present fruit out of me again. I want to come back to a time of fruitfulness in my life. You don't have to be like the fig tree and be barren. And you definitely don't have to dry up and die. And then I think he's saying there's this mountain-moving faith and there's this mountain-moving prayer. But sometimes there are barriers that have come into our lives that cause us to pray with less faith or sometimes causes us not to pray at all. Sometimes these barriers are external. 
external barriers that are hindering people's prayers. At the end, he caps this off with, we have to forgive others so that he can forgive us. That's a barrier to our praying if we have unforgiveness towards somebody. Can I say this morning that a concept called church hurt is a very real concept. You, you, you know what I'm saying when I say church hurt? You know, we, we go to church and, and church is supposed to be a utopia and a perfection and, and we all put on our best and our best faces and our best actions and that's why some people don't want a pastor to be listed as your employee reference for a job because they just assume the pastor's always going to see the good side because they see, you, see us at church at our best. So years ago, I've heard it said, don't use your pastor as a reference because he'll have to say good things. All he sees are the good things. Now, I don't know if that's true or false. And if you want to use me as your reference, 1995, I'll be glad to uh, be your reference. <laughs> but church hurt can be a real thing because we can come into a body of believers and we can find that hope and we can find that love and, and we think it's all perfect and then when something that's less than perfect happens, our feelings get hurt. I'm preaching all right this morning. I'm trying to be delicate. I, I know I was being funny, but I really am trying to be delicate. Or something doesn't go just exactly the way and you know what happens? The humanity that's part of a church body can show up sometimes. Now, I know you know that the humanity that's part of our families show up sometimes, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm the only one. You know, when we're, when we're all in our PJs and, and we're uh, walking around the house and, and everybody's scrambling to get out the door or, or this and that, and you, humanity can, we're used to that. We're used to humanity showing up in some of those concepts. But it's the church, it's the, it's, it's the kumbaya, we're all singing together and, and it's all supposed to be perfect, but church, we're not perfect. And so then something happens and our feelings get hurt. Something happens and our pride gets hurt. Am I preaching all right this morning? And church hurt is real. I'm not minimizing any of that. But what I'm saying is we just need to realize and be real about these things. A group of people, we're still an imperfect group of people trying to serve a perfect Savior. But sometimes these external things will come and it will create a barrier in our lives. And we may not realize it, but it's hindering our faith and our prayer life. And Jesus said, if you're standing somewhere and you realize that you have an ought against someone or you have need to forgive them, before you finish that prayer, you need to take care of that and forgive them so that I can forgive you. That's a hard thing to do, but, but sometimes those external things are causing us to have an internal barrier. There were other barriers that he saw the, the misuse of the funds and the, and the way they had things structured that were barriers and keeping people from where they needed to be in their relationship with him. He's going through this whole object lesson to show us we don't have to be barren. We don't have to allow these barriers to stay in our lives. And then he says, if you have the faith in God, you can say to this mountain, be removed. But he doesn't really focus as much on the mountain as he focuses on the faith in God. 
And I think too many times in Pastor Greg's life, Pastor Greg focuses on the mountain instead of focusing on the mountain mover. I think we have a slide on that. Yeah. We need to take our faith. We need to take our focus. We need to put our eyes off of the mountain and onto the mountain mover. Too many times the mountain obsesses my thinking. How will I climb the mountain? What do I need to pack to be ready for the mountain? What if I get a bulldozer and I just level the mountain? But he didn't start by talking about the mountain. He started by saying, have faith in God. I want to tell you this morning, take your eyes off of the mountain. Take your eyes off of the mountain long enough to look at the mountain mover. Lose the barrier of unforgiveness. Lose the barrier of unbelief. Have faith. Believe in God. Put your eyes on God. And then when we pray, believe this mover of the mountain and say amen. There's a slide for that. Our response, amen. I go through this process. I say, Lord, are there internal or external barriers in my life? Are there, are there areas of barrenness in my life? Are there areas of unforgiveness in my life? Are there areas of unbelief in my life? I want you to help me. I want to work through these things. But I want to put my eyes up on the mountain mover and I want to believe. And when I pray and when I believe, then I want to say at the end, amen. So be it. And when I end that prayer with amen, I want that to signify. Too many times I pray, I say amen, as a neat little way of putting the bow on the end of the prayer. Right? That's how I think about it a lot of times. I, I pray, I give it to God, and I say amen. Or if I want to be real dignified, I say amen. And I put it on the end of the prayer. Right? Nice little bow, tied up, end at the prayer. How about we look at that a little differently this morning? What if we say that amen is not just the ending of the prayer, but when I declare amen, I am declaring that it is the beginning of my blessing. So be it. It's not just the ending of my prayer. It's not just the affirmation of my prayer. It is the beginning of my blessing. Because Jesus said, whatsoever things you pray, if you believe you have them, you have them. I think that's an amen right there. That's a so be it right there. It's the ending of a prayer, but it is the beginning of my blessing. Would you stand with me this morning? That's what I think we should do today. I want us, in our response, as we pray this morning, I want us to ask the Lord to help us through any barriers, whether it's unbelief, whether it's unforgiveness, whether it might be some barrenness in our lives, we need to draw closer to the Lord, whether it's some type of barriers that we've set up ourselves or that have come upon us from the outside and we didn't ask for them, but they're causing us to, to have these barriers. Ask Him to deal with those things. And then pray the prayer of faith about your situation. And then end it with an amen. End it with a so be it. End it with saying, all right, Lord, you said if I pray it and I believe it, then I have whatsoever I pray.
My mind, my heart, my eyes are going to get off of the mountain so much. And I'm going to have faith in you. Through eyes of faith, I'm going to see you. Would you bow your heads this morning and can we just begin to pray that prayer? This altar is open. If you need to come and have special prayer, if you need to come accept the Lord, we'll pray with you. But you can pray and receive right where you are as well. The Holy Spirit is right there working and dealing and moving. So this morning, Lord, we, we come. We come as, as vulnerable people. Lord, we come as, as people who need you so desperately. And God, I ask you today, if, if barrenness has crept into our lives and we just need a renewal, let that start today. Let that renewal start today. Let that renewal continue even through this week that maybe we, we do some time of fasting and praying and focus to allow renewal to come where barren places have come in our lives. God, maybe there's a barrier to our praying and to our living that we didn't ask for it. Something happened. Someone hurt us. Someone offended us. Someone is challenging us. But today we choose to take our eyes off of that and put our eyes on you and ask you to help us work through that barrier. Maybe it's an internal barrier. Maybe we know we've taken on a habit we shouldn't have or a lifestyle we shouldn't be participating in or, or an attitude that we've just let take root. And God, I pray that you would help us, Lord, to allow the Holy Spirit to deal with us today to deal with us and help us today to remove that barrier. Maybe it's a barrier of unbelief. The mountain just seems too big, but God, you can help us today to remove our eyes off of the mountain and by faith to put our eyes on the mover of the mountain. Maybe that barrier is unforgiveness. And we're praying and we're trying, but we know deep down there's somebody in our life that we need to forgive said that we would forgive men their trespasses, you would forgive us ours. God, I believe that conversely, if we don't forgive somebody, it puts you in a position of not forgiving us. And I believe that's scriptural this morning, Lord, and I believe that there might just be somebody in this house today that needs to allow that grace of forgiveness to come in their heart, and they need to let a grudge go, and they need to forgive clear that barrier out of their lives I ask the Holy Spirit to deal with that person this morning and Lord help us to believe in you to have faith in you to put our eyes on you as you took the time and you all of these stories and interactions through this chapter 11 you were showing us something you were living out a parable you were living out a lesson to us to show us that there is mighty power in prayer but we've got to allow you to set our hearts in order first. And we've got to make our minds up. To put our belief and our faith in you. So that we can have that mountain moving prayer in our lives. Lord bless your people. Bless them today. Don't let anybody leave here discouraged. Don't let anybody leave here God bound up and depressed or beaten down. But Lord, let the Holy Spirit come by their way and let them be encouraged by His presence and by the proclamation of this word today. And that we can leave knowing that you are good and you are faithful and you are kind and you are merciful. So Lord, let this word have a lodging place in our minds and in our hearts. Let us live it out. Let us live it out. And bless us as we go in 
to a time of fasting this week, that it would surely be a time that our mind and our eyes and our faith would be focused on you. In Jesus' name.